coming a time for those of us that name the name of Christ that we ourselves will have a memorial day uh, in honor of what we did for Christ. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ. It's called the Judgment Seat of Christ. And that day will come when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and we ourselves will have a memorial day how we as soldiers for Christ surrendered ourselves in service for God. But we are a living sacrifice. We are a living sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk about that today. So we are soldiers for Christ, and one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 14? Romans chapter 14. And I want to read in your hearing verses 10 through 12. Verses 10 through 12. Romans 14, starting in verse 10. And then we will move forward to 1st and then 2nd Corinthians. But Romans chapter 14 and verse 10 says this, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set it not, your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And so we see an occurrence here in the Scripture talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Or if you'll know in the Greek, it's the Bema seat. It's the Bema seat. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 12 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15. Well, not the Bema Seat of Christ is not mentioned here. We understand in context what is. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If a man's work abide, which he is built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now let's finish in, in reading 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. In verse 10 it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ or the bema seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that he has done, whether it be good, or the word there is profitable, or whether it be bad, that which is worthless or unprofitable. And so here we have an account given in Scripture that we will have a memorial day for the believer in Jesus Christ that one day we will indeed stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now as we look at the word bema seat or if we look at the word judgment seat, it is actually used 13 times throughout the Scripture. 11 of those times it is in reference to 
uh, human authority, human achievement, human addressing, or human athletics. 11 out of the 13 times, two times it refers to the judgment seat of Christ, and we read both of those, one in Romans 14 and the second in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So when it comes to the human seat of judgment, just to give you a couple of examples of that, how this word is used in the Scripture, let's look at that. We see human authority found in Acts chapter 25. So turn with me there quickly. Acts chapter 25, and I want to read to you verse 6 and verse 17. And when he had tarried among them... More than ten days he went down to Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. Let's read verse 17. Therefore, when they were come here without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth. So in this case, as we see the term or the phrase or the word used for Bema seat, or judgment seat, it is used in human authority. Human authority. And we understand that this human authority or this judgment seat in humanity, it is limited or it is temporary. Secondly, not only is it uh, human authority, but also it's used with civil accountability. Civil accountability. Keep your space there in Acts chapter 25, but go back with me just a few verses to verses 10 and 12. Verses 10 and 12 of Acts chapter 25. It says in, in verse 10, Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done nothing wrong, as you very well know. And then verses 11 and 12, For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof... These accuse me, no man may deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Have you appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. So the word here for bema seat or judgment seat is used in the sense of human authority, civil accountability. But then thirdly, as an opportunity to address others. Let's look at that. Acts chapter 12 and verse 21. Acts chapter 12 and verse 21. Acts 12 and verse 21. In verse 21 it says this, And upon a set day Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an orientation, orientation to them in verse 21, verses 22 and 23. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. And so we see in verse 21, okay, the, an opportunity to address the people. Now in this case... <laughs> Uh, this gentleman here uh, took the glory of God for himself, and God judged him. Fourthly, uh, it's an opportunity for there to be seen of human uh, authority, human accountability, to address others. But then fourthly, we'll see throughout the Scriptures and, and really historical accounts, the, the Bema seat was a position to be used to gauge and to judge those 
who were in the Olympics or those that were, ran races and did such other things as that. So athletic games. Um, during games, an athletic uh, person, you know, they would be judged if they broke the rules or if they did uh, the right thing and they were uh, held accountable and, and such when it came to athletic capability. And so what we see here is the term Bema seat or judgment seat is used in a human perspective, but it's also used, and we'll look at this in just a moment, in a heavenly understanding, in a heavenly understanding. Years ago, and I don't know if you would believe this or not, but I actually ran track, and I loved running, uh, absolutely loved it. That's probably why my knees cracked today, um, beyond other things. But um, I used to run track, and I remember one particular time, matter of fact, I was going to bring, and I forgot to bring it over this morning. Um, I was so proud of Anna this, this last uh, soccer season. She earned her letter. And so I went into the back of my closet and I pulled out my Leatherman's jacket, you know, my Letterman's jacket, and it had a big F on it. Okay, not for failure, for Flathead. I went to Flathead High School in Montana. Okay, every, every, I always used to have a friend. His friend used to say, Fathead High School? <laughs> no, it's Flathead, the Indian. Okay, so I got my F. Okay, uh, not for failure, for Flathead. And, and so we were able to talk about it. And I pulled out my Letterman's jacket. I said, look at this. This is really cool. And, and we, we got this jacket, and we were just having fun with it. And, and I earned that by running uh, races. I used to run the 100-yard dash and the 200. And one time, um, we were actually on a uh, – we, we were heading to another location on the bus. And my coach looked up at me, and he said, Mark, he said, I need you to run the 400. The 400? I was like, you know, you got to have stamina to do that. I'm just doing 100 and 200 yard dashes, right? And um, I'd never run the 400. The guy that normally runs the 400 was out that day because he was sick. And so I looked at my coach and I was like, well, coach, you know, I know how to run the 100. You just, boom, you get out of the blocks and you go as fast as you can. You do the same thing with the 200. You don't slow down. You go 100%. But how do you run the 400 um, yard dash? And he said, well, this is, this is how you do it. He said, when you come out of the blocks, you go 100% the first 100 yards. He said, once you get into that first curve, he said, then you, you kind of back it up just a little bit, about 75, 80%. You just kind of back up. He said, and then the last 300, you know, the last two and 300, that's what you do. Give it about 75, 80%. And then the last 100 yards, you just give it everything that you got. I was like, all right, I can do that. I can do that. So it was, it was me and one of my, my other teammates were in this race together, and there was probably three or four other guys, and we got down in the block. And I was telling the girls, I was like, man, when I got in the blocks, I was just so nervous. Like my arms were shaking, my legs were shaking, you know. But man, when that gun went, it's just, oh, the adrenaline just hit, boom. And I just come out of the blocks, and I ran the first 100 yards, just like what my coach said, 100 yards. Just give it 100%, all you can give it. And then you just kind of back up a little bit, do 75, 80%. You want to reserve just a little bit left in the tank for that last 400. Well, when I backed off of that, that first 100 yards, my teammate just kept going. I mean, you whoosh. And I was like, dude, I've already lost the race. He's just going to go, you know. And, and, and there was this desire in me like a little hound dog just to go after him, you know. Did I say little hound dog? A big hound dog. Um, <laughs> And uh, to, to just kind of go after him, and 
But I thought, okay, I got, I got to listen to my coach. Got to listen to my coach. Got to listen to what he said. And so it's just, it's me, another gentleman. Everybody else had already fallen back by that time. We, we hit the, the 200, going around the curve of the 300. Before we got to the 300, this gentleman started petering out that was out in front of us. I mean, he, he had, I mean, he was probably 50 yards out in front of us. He was spent. He was done. He was gassed. And I was like, oh, I got a chance to win this. We come into the third, you know, the third cor- corner, the 300 yards, and it was just me and another dude. We were coming around this corner, and if I just gave it a little bit, he would give it a little bit, and I'd give it a little bit more, and I'd take a step in front of him, he'd take a step, and we just kept going back. And it was just the last 100 yards, and I can, I can see the ribbon right there, and I'm, I'm getting to the ribbon. I'm like, I'm not going to win this race. My mind flashed back in that moment to a race that I had lost probably that year, maybe the year before. There was a guy by the name of Casey Graham. I don't remember names very often, but when I do, it's because you've made an impact in my life, usually negative, but sometimes positive. Okay, so Casey Graham, we were in a 100-yard we dash, and, and he, I would beat him occasionally, but he usually just beat me, and I just can't, could not win against this guy. But this day, he comes stumbling out of the block. I was like, I got it. Nobody else on our team can beat either me or Casey, but Casey would usually beat me. And I thought, I've got this. I've got this race. He stumbled at the blocks. No, I just coast in, right? Right before the finish line, I see out of the corner of my eye, this gentleman creeping up on me. It's Casey. And right before the finish line, he put his head down like this, and he beat me by a darn like half second. I was like, are you kidding me? You know, I was so angry with myself. I, I, you know, I thought I had it in the bag. Casey beat me again, even though he stumbled out of the blocks. And that thought popped in my mind. And so with going back to the 400-yard race, I'm sitting there, and, and I just, I was like, I lost that race, and I lost because he put his head out. So we were literally nose-to-nose, chest-to-chest, and I just, right before the finish line, put my head down. I beat the dude. I've got the ribbon at home. I got it at home by one one hundredth of a second. I beat him. And I'm like, wow. And I remember standing there, and I didn't realize what was happening, but, but as they begin to announce, you know, the winners, and I won that particular race, they also announced that because we had played with inside the rules of the race, that I had won that particular day or had, was going to receive my letter. And I was like, really? I mean, I was so excited. I was going to get my F. I was going to get my F. I was going to get my flathead high school letter F. It's not for fathead and it's not for failure. It's for flathead high school. What was that? <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was excited, but I received that reward because we played according to the rules. I listened to the coach and, and not the impulses of my body. I learned from my failures, and that particular day was an exciting day uh, in my life. And it, it was a day that I got rewarded. There is coming a day for the believer in Christ where we as well 
Just like the soldier that gave his life for this country is remembered and memorialized, you and I will stand in the presence of Jesus Christ and we will give an account for what we did and didn't do for the cause of Christ. So let's look at some of these verses this morning in light of that. We saw the human judgment seat, but let's look at the heavenly the heavenly judgment seat. Let's go back. We're going to flip back and forth between Romans 14 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you want to mark that in your Bible some way, somehow, so that we can go back and forth. But what are the requirements? What are the requirements when it comes to being at the heavenly judgment seat? Well, it's found in Romans 14 and verse 10. He says again, Paul here, Romans 14 and verse 10, he says, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set it not your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Who, who's Paul's audience? It's a Christian, right? Paul says, we shall all stand. And so the emphasis there is on we. So Paul is saying, in order to win... In order to be part of this race, in order to stand at the bema seat of Jesus Christ, you must first be in the race. You must first know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You can't just come to a um, championship race and just say, you know what, I'm just going to put this uniform on and hop on the track and go. You've got to be part of the team. If you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, this is not the judgment seat that you'll be present at. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20. Because every person will stand at a judgment seat. The question is, which one? But in Revelation chapter 20, in verse 11, it says this, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to the works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There's going to be a judgment for every single person. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sins, you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ where you will not give an account for your sin, but you will give an account for what you did for Christ. If you don't know Christ and you perish in your sin, you die in your sin, you'll go to the second judgment. And that is, or the other judgment, I should say, and that is the great white throne, the GWT, the great white throne. Well, you will stand, okay? You will not be able to give an account to God because God is going to judge you on your sin and you'll be cast into the lake of fire. And so how are we part of the heavenly judgment that Paul is talking about here in uh, Romans and also in 2 Corinthians? You've got to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. 
Is there a time in your life that you gave your life to Jesus Christ? Is there a time in your life that you recognized and understood that you are a sinner, that you have violated God's law, you've lied, you've stolen, you've taken God's name in vain, uh, you've dishonored your mother and father, you've committed idolatry, you've committed adultery, you've committed murder, either with your hands or with your heart? Is there a time that you violated God's law? You violated God's law. God, as a holy and righteous judge, has to judge you as a sinner and unfit and unworthy for eternal things with Him. 1 Corinthians is very clear. Those that are liars and thieves and whoremongers, and he goes on, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're not inheriting the kingdom of God, then we understand what the author is saying. You will not have an eternal place with Christ. You'll be cast into hell for all of eternity, where you will go to the other judgment found in Revelation chapter 20. And so we see the requirement found in Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. You must be part of the team. What team are we talking about? This team, the, the team that knows Christ, the team that's repented of their sins. And so that's the requirement. Secondly, and I've already kind of given it away, I kind of got ahead of myself just a little bit, but when it, when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, there's a reality that it is going to happen. Look at again with me going back to Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. Romans chapter 14 and verse 10 says this. He says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus Christ that there is nothing unclean of itself. And I'm reading the wrong passage of Scripture, and I don't know why I am. Okay, I don't know why. Oh, I'm reading verses 14 and verse 14. That's why. Verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set at naught your brother? For we shall. You see? So the first thought there is the requirement. We. You're part of Christ. You're part of knowing the Lord. The second thought is we shall, right? There's the reality. We will stand before God. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ or the bema seat of Christ, and we will give an account of what we did or didn't do for Christ. We see the requirement. We see the reality. And then we see at that moment, we see basically the who, and now we're going to see the what. The who, and now the what. Now let's turn to Romans chapter 14 and verse 12. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. The word account there is logos. We will give in a word. We will give a word. We will give an answer or an explanation. What we will give is an what we will give an answer or a word for what we did or didn't do in Christ. What are some of those things? Let me list them for you. We will stand in front of Christ and we will give an account. What are we going to give an account for? We're going to give an account for our thoughts, what we think about. Okay? What kind of thoughts do you have on a daily basis that you struggle with? God is recording that. Secondly, our words. Our words. We spent just a couple of weeks ago looking through Malachi chapter 3 and Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. The scripture says that those that had words that were communicated as far as his glory and as far as his honor, God was recording. But Jesus also said in the book of Matthew that every idle word 
is going to be recorded. So God is recording our thoughts. God is recording our words. God is going to, we're going to have to give a, uh, an account or review of our deeds, of our time, of our talent, and of our treasure. We're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to have to give an account of what we did for Christ in this life post-salvation. One author said it like this. He said, when a man is removed out of the world, then he gives an account to his Lord of all that he has done in the world. We don't know exactly how, what manner this is going to be done in, but we do know this. There is the assurity that we will give an account for what we did and didn't do for Christ as a soldier of Christ. Continuing this thought of, of a review, let's turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. In verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So we can zoom in on that word appear. The word there appear means to make manifest or visible or known what has been hidden or unknown. Another way that you can say it is, we must have all of our lives laid open before Christ. All of our lives will be laid open before Christ. It's almost like the picture of somebody that had open heart surgery. They go in and they, they cut the chest open and they open that up to look in. Well, I can see this guy's been eating some Kentucky Fried Chicken. Okay? It's going to be laid open to see, well, what does the heart look like? What condition was it in? And so we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. One author said it like this. He said, it is one thing to appear, to appear in a doctor's office and quite another thing to be x-rayed by him there. The judgment seat of Christ will reveal our lives of service for Christ exactly as they have been. Not only the amount of our service, but also the quality, and even the very motives that prompted it will be brought into review. And so we see the who is going to be there. That's us, if you know Christ is Lord and Savior. You know now basically the what. Well, what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ? We're going to give an account. We're going to have to appear before the Lord to make manifest or visible that which was known or hidden or unknown. When I think about this, I guess that there can be probably um, two responses. <laughs> two responses uh, to the fact that there is going to be this judgment seat of Christ. One, of fear. Man. I have, up to this point, not really lived my life for Christ the way that I should have. There's another response, and that is, whew, when Jesus Christ return, returns, I, I want to give a joyful report to Christ for what I have done for Him. But at this judgment seat, after that which is reviewed, that which is gone over, that which is, we have appeared before Jesus Christ, 
the Lord Jesus Christ in all of His glory will then begin to distribute to those of us that have deserved them rewards. Go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he has done, whether it be profitable or unprofitable, that which is of value and that has no value whatsoever. We will not suffer loss, ladies and gentlemen, in the sense that we're going to be judged for our sins. Our sins have already been judged as a believer in Jesus Christ. They were judged at the cross of Calvary in Christ Jesus. Our sins will not be reviewed here. What will be reviewed is what we did or didn't do for Christ, or what we did that was profitable for Christ, and that which was unprofitable, we will not receive a reward. Turn with me quickly as we look at this in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, it says this, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? The day that I won or received my letter, it was because I had played with inside the rules that were given to me. God is warning us through the Holy Scripture to understand what rules He wants us to play by. And when we do that, we will receive a crown of glory. Let's review those quickly. What are we going to be judged on? Um, or what, what crowns will we receive? Okay. What crowns will we receive? Well, we won't turn to all of these passages of Scripture because we certainly don't have time. But we will, the crowns that we will receive, number one, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8 is the crown of righteousness. And this is crown that is given to us when we exhibit righteousness in our lives. Not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. The second crown that we can strive for is the crown of life found in James chapter 1 and verse 12. This crown is received when we overcome trial and temptation in our lives. So the crown of life, we've endured temptations. The third crown that we can receive is found in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. This is the crown of glory. This is given um, at first. I always believe this is only given to the faithful pastor. But the more that I've researched it, it is given to the faithful pastor. But I also believe it is given to all of those that have faithfully taught the, the, the Scriptures. Okay? And so the crown of glory, the fourth crown that we can receive is the crown again of life found in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, otherwise known as the martyr's crown. If you gave your life in duty to Jesus Christ, there is a crown waiting for you. And then fifthly, it found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19, we have the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing. Some people have called it the soul winner's crown. That when you've shared the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, God is going to give you a crown. And so what do we have here? We've got five crowns that any person can receive by the Lord Jesus Christ. The crown of righteousness, the one that endures temptations, one who is a faithful teacher of all good things out of the Scriptures, 
the one who has given their life as a martyr to Jesus Christ, and the crown of rejoicing, the one who is attempting to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost. And so we summarize that thought with this. What are we going to be judged on in light of these crowns? Number one, the Great Commission. Christian, when's the last time that you shared the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody? When's the last time that you intentionally went to somebody on your job site or in school or your neighbor and you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? Christian, you and I are going to not only be judged on our great commission or how we shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also in our personal life when it comes to victory over sin. Victory over sin. But thirdly, we're going to be judged on the area of the control of our tongue. The great commission... Victory over sin and the control of our tongue. And so one day, one day, as you are striving for the Lord Jesus Christ, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It'll be a day of remembrance, won't it? We will go back and Christ is going to review our lives. And He's going to cast that which is worthless away. And He's going to keep that which is honoring to Him. And then He'll give us a crown of righteousness. One thing I always loved about Awana, you go back to the cubby days and you got your little vest, and on, on that little vest you had a crown. Do you remember that before they changed it all? And on that little crown you could earn little gems and you could put the little gems inside there as you're memorizing scripture and doing Christian services and attending services and that kind of thing, and you could fill that crown up. And I think it was a really beautiful picture for our young people to see, hey, as I serve Christ, I get an eternal reward really a beautiful picture. But that's literally what is happening in eternity right now. We have crowns that we can, we can earn by striving lawfully to do what Christ has called us to do. And in that moment, we will cast those crowns back to Christ because He's worthy of our glory. So in closing in that moment, I just want you to just take a moment and just think about these three things in closing. Number one, as you're serving Christ, as you're serving Christ, as you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, take time this week and review your own personal motive. Why do I come to church? Why do I serve in the nursery? Why do I serve in children's church? Why do I serve in Word of Life? Why do I do what I do in this ministry? Is it to receive the glory of men? Is it because you love the popularity of man or the position that men can lift you up in? Is that your motive? Because Christ will judge you for that. If your motive is to come here because you want to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, to God be the glory for that. God has given you gifts. He's given you spiritual gifts. Those gifts, number one, is to exalt Him. But secondly, those spiritual gifts is to encourage and build up the body of Christ. That ought to be our motive. It shouldn't be out of the fear of being judged by somebody. Oh, you didn't, get, you didn't come to church today. And so you're like, oh, you know what? I don't want to get that phone call. We ought to be here because we love Christ. And we love the body of Christ. And we love serving God. And we love serving the body of Christ. Check your motive. If that motive is wrong, man, ask God to examine that and ask the Lord to change that. So that when you stand at the beam of seat of Christ, you'll give a clear account of what you did for Him. Not only ask, examine yourselves, you know, what are my motives for what I'm doing, but check your heart. 
when it comes to the area of murmuring. What am I complaining about? What am I murmuring about with inside the body of Christ? And sometimes we have legitimate concerns and there are legitimate anxieties, but, but ask the nature of your murmuring. Oh, man, I was asked to do this again. I was asked to do that again. You know, what are you murmuring about? Check your heart. Check your area in that life and, and see if that's honoring to the Lord, honoring to the Lord. Examine your motives. Examine your murmuring. But then finally, examine the area of how are you mastering this flesh? How is this flesh under control for Christ? Whether that be your thoughts, whether that be your tongue, whether that be your deeds, whatever the case, how are you mastering your flesh for the cause of Christ? There's coming a day in this race that we call Christianity that you will stand at the Bema Seat of Christ, and we will give an account. We've looked at the Scripture. We've looked at the Word of God. And praise God that, you know what? Let's say you messed it all up. Man, you had a horrible, rotten Christian life. You know what? You still got eternal life. So praise God for that. Now, as I look at the Scripture, though, I don't see that believers just stay in a neutral position. That you just get saved, and some of the old preachers will say, well, you get saved and you sit on your blessed assurance. Don't really like that phrase. Don't really like the theology behind that phrase because it doesn't mesh with Scripture. When somebody truly comes to know Christ, they just don't stay the same. They change. But hey, let's say there are periods in your life, chapters in your life. Man, I messed that up. I had the wrong motive. Dude, I was murmuring all through that. Man, dude, I didn't have control of my flesh, my thoughts, my tongue. You know what? You're going to have a whole new chapter before Jesus Christ returns. Okay? Worst case scenario, you're with Christ for all eternity. But, praise the Lord. Let's say that you are surrendered. You are sharing the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. You are overcoming trials and tribulations and temptations in your life. You are serving Christ faithfully. Man, the King of glories is going to reward us trophies that we don't deserve. But that's the graciousness of God. Strive for those. Strive for them. The Scripture is very clear. There's nothing wrong with striving for those glories and riches in eternity as long as they're done for Him. So you take those two things and then you mesh it up with this thought. Man, don't miss the Bema Seat of Jesus Christ because the next judgment seat will be the great white throne. And you won't even give a verbal account there. God will judge you unworthy and unfit for eternal things and be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. So think about those things. How is your service before God? How is your heart before the Lord? What are your motives? Watch your murmuring. Are you mastering this body for the glorious gospel and for the glorious King of Jesus Christ? We will stand at the Bema Seat of Christ and we will give an account. Let's close in prayer. And uh, let's just ask the Lord just to examine our hearts in this moment. Father God, as we, we come in your presence, Lord, thank you for this day. God, we, we look to our nation and we have a couple of hundred years 
of men and of women, Lord, who have died honoring their uniform, honoring their service, honoring their nation. Heroic acts as we go back and we review history of men and women giving their lives for the cause of freedom. God, thank you for that. And Lord, I don't like the direction that our country is going morally, spiritually. Lord, I don't like it at all. But God, I do reflect on the goodness of this nation at its heart, at its core, that there have been great men and great women who have given their lives so that we can have the freedom to worship this morning. God, thank you for that. But Lord, that's temporal. We, we spring forward to the Bema Seat of Christ and we see something that's eternal. Those of us that know Christ, we will stand at the Bema Seat of Jesus Christ. God, we will give an account. But God, to, to you, help us not to fear that moment, but help us to rejoice in that moment. To rejoice in that moment that we know Christ, that we'll stand at the Bema Seat of Christ. That all of the things that we did that were pointless and worthless will be washed away and all that remains will be given back to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Lord help us now, even with the few years that we might have left, help us to surrender. If we've got one year, six months, if we've got 10 years or 20 years, God, help us to turn that chapter and say, you know what, from this point until Jesus Christ returns, I'm going to live an honorable life before Him. God, help us to have that kind of mindset. And we'll rejoice at the coming of Jesus Christ and the glories and riches that come with Him. God, for the one here today that does not know Christ, who has yet rejected His call of salvation in his or her life, God, will you tug at that heart today? Let them know that, that they are a sinner. Let them know that they have violated your law, that they're not living for you. That God, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die in their place. But Jesus, all, were, all of our sins were imputed to Him and all of His righteousness can be imputed to us. God, by Your glory, help them to understand salvation. Help them to understand redemption and the redemption story. But God, we stop and just pause and Lord, we want to reflect on our own life that one day, Lord, there, there is a day of remembrance. There is a memorial day coming where we will give an account. We will be laid open. Christ will look at our heart, how we serve Him. God, help us today to change. If we need to change, help us to rejoice. God, if we're serving Him with all our heart, mind, and soul. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys. I hope that you have a wonderful Memorial Day together with your family. And um, Lord willing, I guess we will see you next Sunday. No Wednesday service. Have a great day, guys.